Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the J.S. Bach Files. Today we're going to take a look at some of the cantatas which Bach composed for the court of Weimar. You may recall that the young Bach had already served a stint at Weimar, performing as a violinist violist in the chamber orchestra, but now he was returning to a much more prestigious position. Bach had initially returned to Weimar to perform as a guest organist, and this time the Duke was so impressed he offered him the position of court organist and occasional chamber musician. And for good reason. Bach's reputation had continued to grow, and at that point he was increasingly sought after as an organist, teacher, and specialist on organ design and construction. The position of concertmeister was soon added to that of court organist, giving him the opportunity to compose and direct church music, an important step for Bach, since the establishment of what he described as a regulated church music was one of his most important career goals. Now, at the age of 32, he would not only be functioning as the court organist, but also be composing approximately one cantata per month, plus the occasional secular cantata. Bach was happy at Weimar for quite a while. His domestic situation was thriving, Barbara's first six children were born there, and musically, the court of Weimar provided some excellent opportunities for growth. The court environment was secular and international, and Bach had the opportunity and desire at this point to avail himself of new musical influences, most notably Italian ones, for example, the Italian concerto style, and to some extent, Italian opera. Bach had been aware of Italian music before that point, of course, but he had focused so much on refining the northern German tradition that all other traditions existed for him only on the periphery. But now at Weimar, things were different. Given the opportunity, he studied, copied, and sometimes arranged works of Vivaldi, Corelli, Albinoni, Marcello, and other Italians. Whereas previously, Italian influence had been indirect. After all, earlier Germans that Bach admired had themselves been influenced by Italian music to varying degrees. Now it was direct, even blatant. He was influenced by Italian melodic simplicity, the long mechanically patterned themes in the style of Buxtehuder and Pachelbel, most evident in some of Bach's early works for organ, were increasingly replaced by more lyrical, concise Italian themes unified by a single affection or mood and a strong sense of tonality. But Italian influence, though it may have been becoming, Bach's melodic style still remained original and unusual, with unexpected twists and turns and leaps in his melodies, as his son C.P.E. Bach declared years later in a biographical sketch of his father. But Bach was influenced not only by Italian melodic style, but also by some of the forms he encountered in Italian opera and cantata. Bach's arias were now fully developed to couple forms, at least some of the time, with an extended A section, a contrasting B section, and then a full-scale repetition of the A section. Bach also at times incorporates Siciliano rhythms in 6-8 or 12-8, gentle flowing triple meter melodies influenced by the Italian bel canto style. Bach began to make a more extensive use of the recitative style as well, that Italian invention dating back to the beginning of the previous century in which the text is delivered in a style that more closely approximates the rhythm and accents of spoken speech. Still, Bach's recitatives tended to be somewhat more emotional and musically elaborate than his fast-moving Italian models, 
with dramatic diminished seventh chords, sudden outcries, and twisted melodic fragments seldom found in Italian recitative. Another change encountered in the Weimar cantatas was somewhat of a decreased emphasis on their traditional chorale melody. There are fewer examples of the chorale cantata style, where the chorale melody would permeate virtually every section of the cantata. Chorale melodies still play a big role, of course, but seldom to the extent we observed in cantata number four, Christ Lay in the Bonds of Death, discussed in the previous episode. We now turn to our first example, cantata BWV 182, one of the earliest of the Weimar cantatas, written for a Palm Sunday service. The text, quite possibly by Zalamo Frank, the court poet at Weimar, draws on Psalm 80 from the Old Testament and a verse from a hymn by another author. We'll start with the lovely little opening sinfonia, labeled here a sonata, which uses its limited instrumental resources, recorder, violin, a pair of violas, cello, and organ, masterfully. So often when we think of Bach, we think of monumental complexity, especially of a contrapuntal nature. But Bach could be as wonderfully simple and seemingly guileless as any composer of his generation. The second movement is a wonderfully buoyant, almost jolly chorus. The soprano leads with an attractively bouncy tune, and alto, tenor, and bass follow along eagerly in a fugal opening. This represents the joyous part of the Palm Sunday celebration. King of heaven, welcome. Let us also be your Zion. Come within. You have taken our hearts from us. The third movement is a bass recitative, one of those elements Bach began incorporating on a regular basis in Weimar, in this case the only recitative in the entire cantata. Stylistically, it's not a particularly dramatic example, which, given the text, is hardly a surprise. The continual accompaniment, cello and organ, is, however, rather more elaborate than one would expect from the average Italian composer who might be satisfied by plunking down the occasional chord beneath a perfunctory melodic line. The text states, See, I come. In the book it is written of me, Your will, my God, I do gladly. Siehe, siehe, ich komme, im Buch ist von mir geschrieben. Gott, mein Gott, deinen Weg. 
The dignified bass aria that follows the brief recitative begins with a violin and continual introduction, which serves in varied form as a ritornello between entrances of the soloist. The text is, Mighty love by which you, great Son of God, from the throne of your glory were driven, so that for the salvation of the world you presented yourself as a sacrifice, and with blood you signed yourself away. Starkes Leben, starkes Leben, das dich großer Gottessohn von dem Thron deiner Herrlichkeit getrieben. An alto aria follows, this time paired with a solo recorder or flute that provides the instrumental introduction and ritornellos for the aria and occasionally weaves in and out against the soloist line. Musically, this is a bit more circumspect than the previous aria. It begins with a slower tempo, marked largo, and in the key of E minor in contrast to the C major of the bass aria. This text, and the one in the following aria, provides an example of the sort of emotional appeals to the believer that would be of particular interest to those Lutherans leaning more to a pietist perspective. The text for the A section is, Put yourselves beneath the Savior, you hearts who are Christian. The B section, or middle section, is a bit faster, marked on Dante, and shows a more eager, striving quality. The text is, Wear an unspotted robe of your faith to meet him, body and life and possessions now dedicate to the king. Following the middle section, the first section is repeated. In our example, we'll hear only a portion of the A section or the first part of the aria. In the next aria, for tenor soloist, the transformation from expressing the joy of Palm Sunday to the contemplation of Jesus' suffering and death to come is complete. It is the most personal text yet, expressing the wish that the Christian might want to share Jesus' agony. Jesus, through weal and woe, let me go with you. 
If the world cries only crucify, do not let me flee, Lord, from the banner of your cross. I find crown and palms there. This is a continual aria in B minor, introduced and accompanied only by cello and organ, with no lyrical interplay from a violin or flute to soften the effect or lend variety, although the bass part, played by the cello, is quite active and guarantees that the rhythmic momentum never flags. Still, the overall effect is rather austere, even when the tenor later expands his solo lines into rapidly moving melismas. We'll hear only the introduction and first part of the aria. This movement is a setting of a chorale, but different in two ways from what we might expect to see at this point. First of all, it is the second-to-last movement in the cantata rather than the last, and second, it is not a typical four-part setting, moving mostly in four equal parts or block chords, as we might also expect. The movement does begin by quoting a familiar Lutheran chorale melody known as Jesus' Suffering, Pain, and Death, but it is heard in the tenor part alone, doubled by the orchestra. A measure and a half later, the tune comes in the bass as the tenor continues a more active counterpoint against it. Then the soprano introduces the chorale melody in half notes, after which the alto comes in and replicates the tenor and bass parts in its octave. So the chorale melody certainly plays a dominant role, but not in the simple four-part setting one might look for. The text is again emotional in a way that is peculiar to the period and the pietist perspective. Jesus, your passion is for me pure joy. Your wounds, crown and shame, are my heart's pasture. My soul walks on roses if I think on this. In heaven, a place for this reason, grant us. The final movement emphasizes the sense of joy that we may have missed in the chorale setting of the previous movement. It is, for the most part, a much jauntier movement, with recorder and flute leading the way with a lively tune and a much brighter G major tonality. The text reads, 
so let us go in the Salem of joy, accompanying the king in love and in sorrows. He goes before and opens the way. The imitative counterpoint is clear and unambiguous, and the harmony is straightforward with abundant momentum. But Bach, being Bach, adds some interesting chromatic coloring at the arrival of the word sorrows, darkening our horizon briefly to remind us that, although Easter represents a glorious victory, there is pain and suffering that must first be endured. In general, the final movement is a brilliant and delightful one, capping off an impressive cantata. One can't help but think that the members of the Weimar court would be very pleased with this early offering from their new composer. We turn now to BWV 31, The Heaven's Laugh, an Easter Sunday cantata with a libretto almost certainly by court poet Salomo Franck. This cantata again opens with an instrumental movement labeled in the score a sonata. Sonata it is, a fanfare-like, celebratory opening worthy of Easter, with its trumpets, timpani, and the full sonorities of a large orchestra. The text for the opening chorus is, The heavens laugh, the earth shouts with joy, and what she bears in her bosom. The Creator lives, God Most High triumphs, and is free from the bonds of death. He who has chosen the grave for rest, the holiest, cannot decay. Thank you. 
music is as jubilant as the text, with laughing lines moving from the soprano throughout all the voices. Just one of many examples of Bach's word painting, where he chooses musical devices of various sorts, sometimes rhythmic, sometimes harmonic, sometimes textural, to reinforce and elucidate the meaning of the text. This is followed by a fairly lengthy bass recitative and aria. The recitative, marked by several tempo changes, begins, Long for day be joyful again, soul, the Alpha and Omega, the first and also the last, whom our heavy guilt put in death's prison is now torn away from misery. The Lord was dead, and see, he lives again. We'll hear just the beginning. Er wünscht der Tag, sein Seele wieder froh, sei wieder froh, sei wieder froh, sei wieder froh. Er wünscht der Tag, sei Seele. Das A und O, der erste und auch der letzte, den unsere schwere Schuld in Todeskerker setze, ist nun gerissen aus der Not. The bass aria, accompanied only by the continual instruments, initially strides forth with an almost militant confidence, shown by the repeated dotted rhythms and the bold descending octave leaps in the soloist melody. The middle section allows for just a hint of uncertainty, but the confident opening theme returns before the close. The text begins, Prince of life, mighty champion, highly praised son of God, does the ladder of the cross raise you to the highest throne of honor? Will what before bound you now be your adornment and precious stone? Must your purple wounds be beams of your radiance? des Lebens, starke Schreiter, Fürst des Lebens, starke Schreiter, Fürst des Lebens, hochgelobter, hochgelobter Gottes Sohn. Hebet dich des Kreuzes Leiter, auf den höchsten ihren Thron. Wird was dich zuvor gewunden, nun dein Schmuck und Edelstein. Wird was dich zuvor gewunden, nun dein Schmuck und Edelstein.
The tenor recitative that follows begins by challenging the Christian to rise up with Christ in your spirit and enter on the new way of life. The aria that follows continues this theme with what is perhaps a surprisingly cheerful tone. This time we get a full orchestral introduction and a lively accompaniment through most of the aria. Beginning and ending in an unproblematic G major, the tenor melody is equally lively throughout this short aria. The mood of the text is summed up in the first verse. Adam must in us decay, the new man should grow stronger. Who is created after the image of God? You must rise in spirit and leave the grave of sins if you are a member of Christ. soprano recitative that comes next is a bit more sober-minded if still ultimately optimistic stating if i must suffer with christ so shall i also after this time rise again with christ to honor and glory and see god in the flesh reflecting the text is of course very important but so is musical variety and the soprano aria that follows is a slower more contemplative piece than the previous aria with an elegant use of the oboe as a concertante instrument that weaves in and out to support the voice and share its melodic material. The text, Last hour, break now upon me to close my eyes. Let me gaze on the joyous radiance of Jesus and his bright light. Let me be like the angels. Last hour, break upon me.
The cantata closes with a full four-part harmonization of a chorale melody against a majestic descant from trumpet and first violin. Summing up the message of the entire cantata, the text reads, In this way I shall journey towards Jesus Christ. I shall stretch out my arms toward him. So I shall sleep and rest pleasantly. No man can awaken me other than Jesus Christ, God's Son. He who will open the door of heaven for me and lead me to the promised eternal life. Having celebrated Palm Sunday and Easter with two of Bach's Weimar cantatas, we'll celebrate Christmas with a third. The cantata Christians Engrave This Day with libretto by Azelma Frank, BWV 63. Since this is another very special occasion, it should come as no surprise that Bach again brings out his full instrumental complement. There is no introductory instrumental movement, but the opening chorus in a bright C major has another splendidly heraldic instrumental introduction, once again featuring trumpets and timpani as befits the holiday. The chorus, as it enters joyfully, moves in strongly marked rhythms, but although motives bounce around zestfully from one voice to another, especially soprano and bass, the texture is not methodically imitative in the way we've heard in other examples. The text... Christians, engrave this day in metal and marble stone. Come and hurry with me to the manger and prove with happy lips your thanks and your duty, for the ray that there breaks in is shown to you as the light of grace. A sensitive alto recitative follows, accompanied by strings as well as continual, of which we will hear only the first part. The text celebrates the birth of Christ beginning, O blessed day, O extraordinary day, 
on which the Savior of the world, the Messiah, whom God already in paradise promised to the human race, now reveals himself fully. But eventually the harmony clouds over as the text shifts gears to address the wretchedness of his fallen people. Craig Smith, one of the supremely skilled writers who comments on the cantatas for Emanuel Music in Boston, and whose comments are conveniently available on the excellent BachCantatas.com site I referred to earlier, considers this to be perhaps the greatest accompanied recitative in all the Bach cantatas. The more somber mood continues with the soprano and bass duet that follows, introduced by a lovely but melancholy oboe solo in A minor that takes a couple of somewhat troubling harmonic turns before it cadences to prepare for the soprano entrance. The two voices initially move in a sort of slow-motion canonic imitation in languid but expressive lines, which seem to be somewhat of a pared-down version of the oboe's introductory melody. After the initial section is completed, the oboe returns with a ritornello, an embroidered version of its original introduction, to serve as a transition to the middle section of the duet. This part is also repeated at the end to close out the aria. The text for the first section of the aria appears to justify the sense of foreboding, or at least pessimism, hinted at in the opening oboe melody and elsewhere. God, you have well ordained what happens to us. The middle section, in C major, suggests a somewhat more optimistic tone. No anguished harmonic surprises here, as the soprano leads off with a sweet and uncomplicated melodic line, followed by the bass. There are passing hints of a darker reality, but overall the tone is gentle and uncomplicated. The text for the middle section is, Therefore, let us always trust in him and build on his grace for he has bestowed on us what delights us now and forever. As is increasingly typical for Bach in these cantatas, the middle section is followed by a da capo sign, and the entire A section is repeated.
a continuo accompanied tenor recitative follows, unremarkable initially as it renders the text, in this way now today is transformed the anxious suffering with which Israel was distressed and burdened into pure salvation and grace. But on the appearance of the words, the lion from the stock of David has appeared, his bow is stretched, his sword is already sharpened, with which he places us in our former freedom. At that passage, the accompanying continual parts become positively fierce. So kehret sich nun heut das Bangeleit, mit welchem Israel geängstet und beladen, in lauter Heil und Gnaden, in lauter Der Löw aus Davids Stamme ist erschienen, sein Bogen ist gespannt, das Schwert ist schon gewetzt, womit er uns in Vorgefreiheit setzt. The alto and tenor duet that follows seems securely confident once again, even robust, in an energized G major and triple meter, unclouded by any harmonic hints of foreboding. The text, Call and implore heaven. Come, you Christians, come into the ranks. You should rejoice on account of what God has done today, since his graciousness maintains us and endows us with such great salvation that sufficient thanks cannot be given. recitative that follows is brief but not without colorful touches the text reads for this reason be redoubled you hot flames of devotion and strike in humility ardently together mount joyfully to heaven and thank god for what he has done three oboes join in to punctuate the bass's sentiment and at the mention of rising joyfully to heaven the bass soloist indulges in a tight little ascending melisma to underline his point Verdoppelt euch die Macht, ihr heißen Andachtsflammen, und schlagt in Demut brünstig nicht zusammen. Steigt fröhlich Himmel, 
The occasion is too celebratory for a mere four-part chorale harmonization, so Bach closes the cantata with a zestful yet dignified chorus with trumpets and drums again resounding. Although simple enough on paper, the introductory instrumental passage is actually quite compelling because of its scoring and the energetic forcefulness of its many repeated notes. The tempo is marked maestoso, usually given to more stately compositions, but the movement within the four measured beats is soon almost frantic, with 64th notes abounding, so that the overall impression of the instrumental introduction is one of almost breathless speed. The voices enter together in embellished block chords on a motive derived in part from the orchestral introduction, but they do so at a more measured pace, the maestoso quality now asserting itself. The music eventually settles down into a fugue, and it's an impressive one, but perhaps even more impressive is the dramatic climax in the middle section of the movement, where some striking chromaticism, notably dramatic falling half-steps sung in quarter notes, is passed through the voices as the text refers to Satan's attempt to torment us. The full text is, Highest, look with grace on this ardor of souls who bow in worship. Let the thanks which we bring you resound pleasingly before you. Let us always go with your blessing, but never let it happen that Satan may torment us. We'll hear only the first part of this dynamic final chorus. was happy for some time working in Weimar, but situations change, and for a number of reasons, including a possible falling out between Bach and the Duke, Bach began to become dissatisfied with his position there. In 1716, Bach was passed over for the more elevated post of Kapellmeister, and, Bach being a proud man who knew his value as a musician, this must have rankled him. At any rate, he became restless and sought out different possibilities. 
At about that time, Boxkill had come to the attention of Prince Leopold of Anhalt-Kirchen, who offered him the position of Kapellmeister. This new position provided Bach with the highest income and level of social prestige he had yet experienced. But the Duke of Weimar didn't want to release Bach from his position at court and placed him under arrest for almost an entire month. That situation was eventually worked out and Bach was free to take the new position. But in some ways it seems like a strange decision for a composer whose life goal was to establish a regulated church music. His new court was a Calvinist one, and there was little call for the sort of elaborate church music that Bach desired to compose. Bach writes a great deal of wonderful chamber and orchestral music at Kirtan, as well as pedagogical music like the well-tempered clavier and the inventions, but it was not a place for a composer of sacred cantatas, and since that is our concern at the moment, we'll pick up Bach's story in the next episode when he relocates in Leipzig, the city that he has to call home for the rest of his life.